now. So I thought about it um, when I was doing the podcast with Menno that, you know, I <laughs> I do these introductions. I go, welcome to Faz's podcast episode, whatever. And it just sounds really fucking dorky. So I'm, I'm just going to stop doing that now. <laughs> I don't know why I do that. I don't know what it is. So I'm just going to say, hey, um, welcome back. Episode three. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I did it again. I was going to say, welcome back. Um, right. Let's just. You, you have those like little tendencies, like you know me when I, when I, when I record, yeah. I find like I always go. So I always start with yeah. so, and I'm like shit. Like yeah. <laughs> let me start over again and not say yeah. so. Yeah. It was it was really highlighted when I did that podcast with Menno because I just saw. I, I, I was saying it and it just rattled off automatically. I thought, why am I saying this? It makes no sense. And people are going to come to my video to, to watch the podcast. They, they don't give a shit if it's episode 65 or whatever. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's, I'm going to leave that. But, um, right. How, how are you? Yeah, all good. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you this as well. Like, what are your thoughts and feelings on like lockdown three? Because to me, even though it's only been like a month and the first one was a lot longer, this one feels the longest for some reason. And it feels like, I've, I forgot what the gym feels like and what it was like, if that makes sense. Like, it's weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, I'd say, I'd say two was probably the hardest. This one, I would say I'm in a better place, maybe, um, with it. Maybe, I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. Uh, for this one, I feel like I've got, you know what it is? I feel like I've got more to occupy my mind with in this one. I feel, oh, like, okay. yeah, I kind of feel like I've, there's more going on in my head. Like I've got more to think about. With with Lockdown 2, it was very kind of samey. I was just doing a lot of stuff with the business. This one, I've got a lot more to mentally occupy myself with, I guess. So maybe that's why it is. Yeah. Uh, what about you? that's an interesting thing because like it might be like an individual thing because to me like the third one has felt like the the longest mm. and kind of the most draining on me right. which is weird because the first one was like three months long wasn't it yeah and then the second one was like about the same length as this one i would say yeah maybe this one's getting on a bit yeah. longer yeah yeah but yeah this one it might just be like because it's the third time we're doing it but Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of like getting old now. I'm like, yeah. this needs to needs to hurry up. Yeah, I think part of it is like it's it's now 2021 and we're still here. Uh, that's a big part. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. On that, yeah. I guess I don't know, man. I think I. It'd be interesting to see, like. I'm just thinking about sort of length of time. Like it's been, it's been three, it was three months, wasn't it, for the last one? I can't, when you just said just now, it's been a month for this one, I can't actually believe it's been that long already, but you're right, just looking, it's kind of mentally looking back now, I'm like, yeah, it's been a month already. That's a long time. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to Jim's being back open again. Definitely, I can't wait for that. It's like the dumbbells are getting so boring now. It's like I, I need some, I need some variation, some machines or something just to just to work in. Do you find yourself coming up with like lots of like ideas and thoughts about what you're going to do at the gym when you get back? I, I find myself like just thinking about I'm going to do this, that, that, all that stuff. <laughs> I've already done that like three yeah. times over in my head. <laughs> it's like all my all my quad movements are going to be. Um, not axial loading like i'm going through all these things yeah, in my yeah, head yeah. i'm like, <laughs> just like just getting crazy now <laughs> all right so um let's i want to start with your experimentation so you did a 500 gram protein day oh yeah yeah so you... and you're still here so that's <laughs> <You're alive>. <laughs> <laughs> so um how was that i've not managed to watch the video yet because it only just came up on my feed now today so I need to watch that at some point. Um, how did it go? You know, this is, this is we're really professional. We should put up like a card linking to your video here. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. yeah. I'll do that. Okay, right. Yeah, anyway, sorry. Go on. 
Yeah, because um, do you remember like a while back on Instagram where I put up a story saying, should I do a 500 gram protein challenge? And you were like, and you messaged me saying, it's probably not a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, all right, Maz, cool, I won't do it. <laughs> so, um, no, this is a, I, I don't know why. I think it was because I was doing like the like golden era kind of approach. Yeah. And like just looking into what they were doing back in the day, like they were just consuming a lot of protein yeah. um, and like the vegetables through like a salad or leafy green. But um, I don't know, because I put in the video, I think, or in one of my videos that protein for me is like the most satiating macro, like carbs, obviously through vegetables, but there's so much you can do with that. And then you get the bloat and everything with it. Um, fats, they're the most calorie, uh, most calorie program. So you're not allowed to eat as much, but with protein, like to me, it's the most satiating out of all of them. So, yeah, with the with the combination of the loss of taste and smell, uh, I thought, let me see, like if I can hit 500 grams, mm-hmm. and along with the appetite as well. At the minute, I thought this would be something just just like try. Um, so, all of that combined <laughs> led me to led me to do was it? I think it was like 1.4 kilos, 1.5 kilos of chicken breast um which in fact the crazy thing is is that i could have eaten a lot more like i don't yeah i don't know how to like explain it like in the video i had, I had three squ- uh, square meals um and it was around 170 grams ish of like protein per meal mm-hmm. and easily like and i put at the end of the video yes. this wasn't yeah in three meals i did it and I put in the video, I was like, I maybe should have tried to increase the amount for each meal that I was eating because yeah. it was just, uh, yeah, it was it was a breeze, really. Um, but yeah, uh, 500 grams, I can now tick off. <laughs> I've done I've done 400 before on my cheat day um, for, for the for the first cutting phase that we did. Mm-hmm. And I remember, but that was doing the shakes and the whole chicken. But this time it was just done purely with chicken breast. So, yeah, that was my experience of that. Um, I wonder how much I can push <laughs> next time if I really try it. I don't know. I got two questions from that. Um, one is looking at like vegetable intakes. I've not seen the video yet. I'd like to know what else did you eat alongside that? And yeah, I've, I've got something else in my head. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Let me try and remember. So, I was doing this consistently with my veg. So I was doing 200 grams of sauerkraut with 50 grams of like, say, cucumber and then 50 grams of carrots uh, these past few weeks. So that was like my setup. And I, and I was calling it 50, 50, 200 in my videos. So um, I, I had that with every meal. And then um, just to get in some fats, I was doing 20 grams of the 90% dark chocolate from Lint. Um, so... And I think at the end of the day, it put me on 2,800 because I'm, I'm eating for maintenance as well. So yeah. um, that's what that put me on for the whole day. Yeah. yeah I, I saw that because I was impressed that you managed to just keep up maintenance calories. <laughs> <laughs> Skillful. No, I yeah. I, Always you know, sticking to the rules. Like harder or easier if you'd added in for more veg or more fats or stuff. Because obviously the more fats and the more veg, the two things which are very satiating, but then... Would it have made it easier to neck the protein? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, because uh, I've heard, um, is it Jay Cutler say this way? He's like, dude, to get down like an extra thousand calories, um, put peanut butter, jam, and bread. And the combination of all that <laughs> is so easy to eat and get down. Yeah. So um, I don't know, but I, could, I, I think I could have easily have eaten like, well, I can't really say, but I could have had easily more chicken breasts um, even after that third meal. I think I think you probably I think you definitely could say you could have had a lot more because I did a podcast with a guy called Joe Webb um, a while back and it was how to eat more in bulk and a lot of the strategies we talked about were like you you should completely just completely trounce them all because like he was like mix your mix your protein sources mix your carb sources um, have like higher fats higher carbs all that kind of stuff alongside your protein he's a big fan of high protein as well but He's not having that much per day. But um, <laughs> basically, you did it in literally the hardest way possible. Like, you had one meat. You did all of that whole meat all day. <laughs> and 
and very little everything else. So it was literally like the hardest way possible. So yeah, you could definitely that way more. Like you could have nailed like 5,000 calories out there easy, easy. Maybe. I think that uh, the taste and smell played a big part as well because uh, I didn't really get sick of the chicken breast because of that. So it was just like literally just eating for the appetite's sake, I guess, yeah. That's pretty awesome. I wonder if that's related to, because I, I was listening to, so I was reading a, a study and it was something that uh, Menno said, actually, and he was talking about how <clears throat> it's to do with um, taste fatigue. And like, you don't actually get full per se. The stomach has got an amazing capacity to um, to expand, even while you're eating like acutely. So if you, if you eat and eat to the point where you throw up, that's a different matter, but most people don't do that. You basically, you don't eat, you don't ever get full per se. People think what people think is full is actually you get bored of the taste of that particular thing. To give you an example of that, like you could, if you go to an all you can eat buffet, you can always have more dessert, right? Everyone says the joke about a second stomach. Um, so yeah, he says it's actually more like you get tired of the taste. And I think that's so that's so if you could eat 500 grams of just chicken, then odds are your stomach had way more room to, to eat. The um, I'm sure you've heard of this as well. Um, the competition eaters they'll mix their foods as well to get them more food so yeah I've, I've heard that as well yeah that's it that's definitely true yeah i think i think that's it they must have those competition eaters must have just a massive room to expand their stomachs um that's pretty insane so uh, what what's what's what have you thought of next in terms of a challenge i have no idea um obviously i'm staying within maintenance calories like i'm not trying to blow that out of the water so when, when I did that, I went on my fitness pal and I just like tallied it all up first just to see like where I would end up. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, cool, like it's within, it's, it's within maintenance, so I'll do it. Um, I have no idea though. Maybe, maybe when we mass or bulk, I can try and see how much food I can push then. <laughs> I'm not too sure though. Like, I don't want to go like, I don't want to binge or anything like that, but like all, all in reason, but um. Yeah, I don't really have any ideas because that was the one that I wanted to do that first time. <laughs> but then we were rebounding up. So, um, yeah, what would what, what, did you, what do you think would be interesting? I was, you know what? I was just actually working out before. I was still working out. If we are to believe the thermic effect of food, because um, I'm not sure whether it's calculated before or after. If we are to believe the thermic effect of food, you basically, your body burnt off. 100 grams of that protein just in digesting it so your body burnt off 400 calories that 2000 calories how cool is that like it's if we're cool. talking about the whole effect thing it's pretty sweet um in terms of like what i think i don't know man what what would be a good uh yeah i don't know maybe, maybe at some point yeah like even though we're in a bulky maybe like a, a 10,000 calorie day or something but i i would say i would i would say that kind of stuff is kind of dangerous so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start a new trend where we push healthy foods, but try and push as much as we can as those <laughs> so the yeah. traditional cheat days where you just go and eat junk and all that stuff. So yeah, that's a good way to go. Yeah, definitely. I think people will be a lot happier. Um, also, I, the other thing was I uh, I've been reading a lot of stuff for, from Marty Kendall recently. If don't know if you've heard of him, he's uh, he's the optimizing nutrition guy. He's got some really intelligent thoughts, and I kind of wanted to get him on the podcast um, to discuss. But he was he looks at big data from say uh, my fitness pal and all that kind of stuff he looks at trends so what are the breakpoints for hunger and all that kind of stuff and he's sort of identified that for most people protein and fiber tend to be the uh, most satiating there's a graph he's got actually protein and fiber the most satiating then it's the combination of i think then it's then it's just high satiating foods so like things like um quark cottage cheese stuff like that and then it's um fat or carbs and then negative appetite is fat and carbs so um essentially what he's saying is there's a hierarchy of what makes you the most full and so the protein and fiber is what makes you the most full so again going back to yours you probably did that in the hardest way possible since you're pretty much <laughs> are just uh, protein and fiber so uh yeah i thought that's kind of interesting so that like something for people who are listening you know that is the most satiating combination so and again, it kind of points back to, I guess what we're going to talk about today is it's worth optimizing your nutrition 
for a diet rather than just saying I've got a calorie goal or a protein goal or a carb goal and I'm going to stick to those. It's worth going a little bit further into the details to give you the better chance of success when it comes to hunger. This might play in nicely to everything that like we both want to touch on because um, I, I don't know if you remember, but I, I shared with you like my deep dive into the late 1800s and the 1900s throughout, like the trends and the eating habits and the kind of patterns that were kind of, I don't know if I want, if I want to say documented, but kind of um, shared Wait a through like the, the 80s and 90s or 1800s and 1900s? Like the late 1800s and then oh, all the way through did, you the 19. Also, like I was, I was looking into like articles and stuff, um, just reading about it. Um, and obviously, like the trends have changed over the years. I don't know if that's with the introduction of you know the more convenience of of food mm. and the lifestyle changes that we've gone through, where people kind of want to gravitate towards more convenient foods because of the amount of time they have in the day. Say, just like with the change in um occupations and the, the time people have with work and stuff so um yeah i was looking into all of that um and this might go into like um minerals and electrolytes as well because that was something else that i was looking into and i found like a trend where from previously like when or the eating habits of back in the day um they they consumed a lot more vegetables i would say from what i've read okay. um and that, from what I'm taking away from it, is is that they were getting in more electrolytes. So just for an example, like potassium. Mm. Obviously, um, I don't know if we'll go into this, but like the foods that you uh, take in to kind of increase your potassium intake are generally like spinach, mushrooms, um, parsnips, carrots. So just an increase in vegetable intake would increase the amount of electrolytes. Yeah. So like with potassium. Um, and then like the trends of diet now and the health factors. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's like we're moving away from that kind of eating and the nutritional or the, or the nutrients that we're taking in through food is changing now as well. Okay. And I don't know whether that will just play into like overall health because we're seeing, we're seeing a trend, aren't we, in, in human health going forward? I think, I think it definitely does play in because if you look at what are more processed foods they tend to be the combinations of carbs and fats which are right down on the negative satiation scale they actually increase your appetite see i think it plays in really well because if you like let's say for example if you have a dieter who comes to you and he wants to lose some weight like 10 20 pounds whatever if you just adjust their food choices without even going to the whole calorie counting thing like just for some people it's not like it's it's okay with you because I know you're quite comfortable doing that kind of stuff. But some people, it's a real big barrier for them. Like uh, mm. they don't really want to count calories. Like there's a real stigma there, perhaps through years of you know um, lack of success in diets and all that kind of stuff and a, and, and a bad association. If you just change them from say, look, here's a list of stuff that you can eat. Now that's not commonly shown to be. It's not commonly seen as a very good way to do things. But I actually think it's a very good way to do things for some people. Just say, look, here's a list of foods you can eat and comprise them mostly of like proteins um high fiber foods and then low on most of everything else you can grant them a great degree of fat loss while still eating ad lib basically eating as much as they like within the confines of that list so it makes them i think what you're saying makes plays in a huge role because if you're if you're just eating say your proteins your your decent you know non-processed foods uh, you're probably not delving into that sort of appetite enhancing uh, those appetite enhancing <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't know where I was going with that. I was just rambling off. But um, one note that I've got here is less than 2% of Americans meet the recommended intake for potassium. So um, I was getting this off of the dietary guidelines um, for Americans um, as a resource. Hmm. And the recommended intake was like, they were saying from 3,500 milligrams to 4,700. Yeah. I, I really went into this, like into the minutiae of it. And um, in my video coming up, you'll see me talk about me calculating and how to get in the 4,700 um, with the recommendations and the info that they give. So um, there is 
it does require some effort. Uh, what I've learned as like the way you structure your vegetables, all the all the sources of potassium that you use. Like I know that you like mushrooms, don't you? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like mushrooms are a good source of potassium as well as vitamin D. Yeah. Um, there wasn't like a clear cut um, number that they gave for the vitamin D amount because it, it does vary. They were saying whether it's like a portobello mushroom or a, a white I've mushroom. Been, so I've been doing an experiment on vitamin D for the past few weeks and just having about six thousand IU, I think, um, per day, and. Uh, you know, I, I've realized like from blood tests that my level of vitamin D, it doesn't get super high, even with high supplementation. So I seem to need quite a lot in the winter months. Um, so I think what you were asking about that daily recommended amount, I think it varies for people drastically depending on the the, the um, season you're in and also your natural propensity to store it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the blood test is another thing that I need to get on. But um, I've been doing 12,000 through... Oh, nice. uh, supplement supplement form yeah but um i've realized over the past few days of tracking nice yeah um like i've realized through, like tracking my nutrition and just using the um information out there that kind of shows you how much you get of each mineral or electrolyte um i i'm getting in enough calcium potassium iron through my uh diet so okay. i don't really need to supplement that um i need i need to do some more looking into magnesium zinc um because I, I didn't really look into that but yeah i was just a massive uh um deep dive into what i've been doing in terms of I've diet got, i've got some studies here on when you were talking i was looking i've got uh, some studies written down about electrolytes and, and sodium and stuff like that. i shared them on my presentation but there's one called uh, the evolution informed optimal dietary potassium intake of humans uh, greatly exceeds current and recommended intakes from 2006. Basically, it says that during that evolutionary period, um, we had uh, we were generally taking in uh, da, 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 about 11,000 uh, milligrams of potassium. So about 11 grams of uh, potassium during that evolutionary periods and less than a gram of sodium. And if you look at this is something you might have. Um, seen when you were researching things in the 1800s and 1900s, but salt was actually quite a rare commodity. And it's only now that it's like really dirt cheap. And so people really value the use of salt because more than likely, because we didn't really get much salt in our diet. So they found a lot of benefits from it. And it's like for storing food, preserving food, all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, apparently the, the this says here, other sources say the potassium was around six grams with 600 milligrams of sodium. But either way, the, the level of potassium was either 10 to 20 grams higher Salt was apparently not a factor in early man's diet. I'm not saying that's a good thing or not, but it's saying more that, you know, we could possibly get away with more potassium than we think. Um, and it shows, yeah, I was also looking at comparative like salt intakes, but in general, the idea of getting about five grams of potassium total from the USDA guidelines seems to be pretty positive. I mean, I, I start most people on about three grams of potassium, three grams of sodium as a good balance and kind of adjust from there. Like I know, I, I need personally need a little bit more potassium, um, but yeah, it's kind of it's interesting. Mm. This is going to sound really weird, but I experienced this yesterday. I don't know whether it was because I added in the um, the vegetables back in, like in a high amount. Mm. Um, but after I had my first meal and I had like um, five hundred mils of water after it, I, I I don't know if you've experienced this, but like this like tingly feeling. It's like that hydration feeling where. Yeah. Have you ever experienced that? It's like it's great to explain. It's like if you take creatine for the first time, it's like a, you get it. It's like a buzz. Yep. The buzz, yeah, yeah. So you, you you've experienced that. Yep. Um, that that is like something. I think very powerful. Like if, if 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 you're missing that, like it's all about. I think that should be like the foundation of of um health and like your diet, like yep. focusing in on the on the electrolytes because i think they're very powerful on their own because like even like going back to the fasting like imagine if you if you couldn't fast without the use of electrolytes like how would you have felt yeah, on that pretty sure. um i think i think this is a big thing it's i i i've, I've talked about it in my um supplementation videos like people will jump from a western diet 
and then go and look at fucking like selenium or like some like really weird small mineral um, rather than focusing on the big blocks, which is sodium and potassium. Like let's get the big stuff in place first, like the stuff which we're taking in in grams and grams per day rather than just, you know, there's always some like health guru online who's talking about the benefits of some like minor fucking phytonutrient or some bullshit like that. Um, and that it's, it's insane. But um, rather than just nobody really discusses massively potassium and sodium, uh, well, except for us and other bodybuilding coaches. So <laughs> but those are the big do, things. Do, uh, do, you, do you want to go into, do you want to go into this now or do you want to save it for later? Because I don't mind. I don't mind. I mean, I could I could talk a bit about sodium potassium, um, and I know we're going to talk about the low carb stuff, but I, I don't mind. I'm happy to go with whichever way. Let's talk. Let's let's go into it. since we've started. Let's go into it. Yep. Yeah. So, like, um, what were you just touching on there? Because I had something. I was touching on um, this um, tendency for people to go from Western diet to just completely into the smallest fucking nutrient and phytonutrient they can find imaginable because it's it's like that whole um it's like the whole sort of vibe of trying to just be clever and talk talk about be the first person in the room to talk about a subject whereas what they'd be better off doing if they were actually interested in health was be to address the big nutrients so after macros after calories so calories is at the top then you macro yeah. it's like people who are looking at selenium haven't even figured out their protein carbon fat intake you know um and then after that is sodium potassium, I think is next. And then after that, I would say calcium, magnesium, then zinc. And then you've got the plethora of other ones, which should mostly be just dealt with via blood work. I'll, I'll just quickly um, add some points um, as fast as I can uh, on what I've kind of found. Like um, the, the um, what's the word? The abundance, so the, the most abundant mineral that I found in the human body is it goes in order of calcium, phosphorus, I think it was potassium, sodium. Um, I think that was the order that I kind of read it in from, from an article. Um, and then I found obviously to metabolic and structural body functions, um, minerals. And so an electrolyte, just to break it down, is when it gets dissolved into water, it becomes... Um, is it positively charged or it becomes a, a conductor of electricity? I don't know if I'm getting that right, but I've yeah, just, I just recently- I think there is some charging. If it, if it involves water, then there's gotta be some charging there, yeah. When it, I think when it dissolves, yeah, that's what I read. Um, and you have the sodium and potassium ions that are moving in and out of cells. That's where you get that kind of, that feeling. Um, but just, just, just from what I've read, um, is the the fluid balance is important isn't it because we hear a lot of just about the the sodium being bad for you but there's no real talk on potassium and the whether potassium is um present uh but yeah just for like from muscular contractions um as well i think i've touched up on that with you before where i was saying when i started to concentrate in on sodium and potassium like the pumps in the gym were a lot more um what, what's the word they were a lot more noticeable that's what i was that's what i was, I was feeding back to you on um but i think yeah it's, it's kind of important to kind of focus in on um from from what i've experienced and it's something that i try to get into my diet like i'm, I'm focusing in more now on the vegetables yeah. and i'm kind of prioritizing my vegetable intake on the potassium intake that, that's what I was, that's what I would feedback um, on that topic. I think, I think with that, what I would do with, if people are looking to explore this, I would tell them to group the, um, group the electrolytes in terms of sodium with potassium, because like, as you said, there's an interplay there. So if you're, say, let's say your potassium is at five grams, but your sodium is at 10 grams, you're still going to be deficient somewhat in sodium. Like you're going to see the effects of like lower sodium. Maybe not to the extent that if your potassium was almost zero and your salt was five grams, that would be really bad. And that would cause a lot of blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. So people need to look at these in, in pairs. So like sodium and potassium go together. And it's very much, and just in terms of practical use, if you're having consistently a lot more sodium, you're going to be, get, you're going to be a lot more bloated. So I tend to think people come to me and say they're bloated. 
a lot of times it's because they're not eating a great deal of vegetables. They're trying to do a diet where they're having loads of shit and just trying to mash it within, you know, a uh, calorie limit. They end up being very, very bloated. Like last night I made a really nice, I made, I made a massive <laughs> ribeye steak with um, mushrooms and that, but I, I added a lot of salt to it because I like, I'm going to salt it steak. And as of this morning, even though I was eating low carb yesterday, my weight's up like a kilo. Um, and I'll talk about that experiment later. But anyway, but yeah, you can huh. take some bloat in my face as well because it's, I'm like, I'm up just from purely the sodium. So to correct that today, I'm going to have a bit more potassium with my meals um, with, with the low salt. But yeah, I think people, if they want to start exploring sodium potassium, look at it in pairs. Um, make sure you regulate your sodium intake and then regulate your potassium intake. It's not enough just to say, I'm going to smash in a bunch of salt to hydrate myself or I'm going to smash in a bunch of potassium. I think people need to look at both. And it always surprised me actually when bodybuilding coaches just talk about sodium, talk about manipulating sodium like high and low. It's like, well, it, it makes no sense because if you're getting three grams of potassium or eight grams of potassium, the effect of your sodium is going to be massively different. I think this is why a lot of people screw up the peak weeks. So people will do peak weeks and they'll try and get a look. So they go, well, I'm going to reduce salt. But the thing is, if they're also not eating their usual foods, if they're, their potassium gets out of whack, they're not going to see the benefits. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, Peak week, well, it doesn't work. No point messing around with your food during peak week. It's like, it's because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so you've got to kind of match it. And I also think um, if you want to go down the next rung of the ladder and look at, say, calcium and magnesium, those are things you, are, you should look at together as well. Because again, they have um, opposite effects. So calcium is somewhat excitatory for um, a mineral and the magnesium is the calming mineral. So you've got to kind of balance those out. And if you look at it, most people in today's society tend to be over on potassium, so over on sodium, low on potassium, over on calcium, low on magnesium. And you look at most people from the Western diet tend to be bloated and stressed. Right? You know, so there's no, there's no massive secret there. I and mean, if you go to start to correct your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous tone, a lot of that will be coming from increasing your potassium and increasing your magnesium because most people are walking around stressed and bloated. Like if that's you, then obviously calories need to be addressed and food choices need to be addressed, but you're better off really focusing on the sodium potassium balance and the calcium magnesium balance. Raise your magnesium up a little bit, raise your potassium up a little bit, experiment with that. You'll probably feel a hell of a lot better just off the bat. This is like stuff that I find so interesting. Like I could just sit down and like look at this stuff all day. Um, I'm still kind of looking into it and trying to uh, soak in all the information, but I think if you want to d delve deeper into it, um, it it's um, a term called osmolality, I think, if I'm getting yeah. that right. And yeah. that's the balance of, of the fluid because the, the majority of potassium is stored with, within the cell. Um, and a lot of that is within, I think, the muscle the muscle cells. That's right, yeah. yeah. And then um, sodium's um, is extracellular fluid. So it's in the blood, the spinal fluid. Yeah. Um, and then if there's a balance there, that's where you want to kind of strive to reach. Um, because like if there's an imbalance, then the electrolyte that's in abundance gets pulled into one area. Um, that's, that, that's from what I read. And it's so interesting, like just to kind of look into it. And that's what I'm trying to um, hit with my diet. I'm trying to focus in on, am I getting in enough uh, potassium through my, through my diet? And that's been my kind of obsession <laughs> yeah. at the minute. Um, no, no, you're, you're completely yeah. right. I, I think um, with uh, regards to potassium, so it's held mostly in the muscles and it's excreted mostly in the feces. It's not really pissed out that much. Now, when you exercise, it again, tends to get alleviated from the muscles and goes out into the bloodstream. So you'll notice um, you might look drier after exercise. Also, that's part of the reason. So potassium kind of works that way. Now, so that's why that's the reason I think that some bodybuilding coaches, if they're aware of potassium, don't tend to supplement it because they think the levels stay relatively consistent. But it's not. Again, it's dependent on your salt intake. You, you've got to be aware of both. With salt, yeah. So there's a system in the, uh, the body called the RAS. So that's the uh, renoangiotensin system, and that is responsible for how much basically your sodium potassium balance, or you, or rather your sodium potassium balance affects it. Now, the RAS system uh, releases a hormone called aldosterone. And that's your, yeah, it sort of basically regulates how much uh, sodium is retained in the body. Um, and so if you are in a high-stress situation, 
the idea is that your body feels like you need to do some activity. And when you want to do some activity, you, you should raise your blood pressure because it gives you force, more forceful muscle contractions, like for running away from predator or something like that, you know? Uh, and so your body will very acutely raise the level of aldosterone in your body, which causes your blood volume to increase, increase your blood pressure. Now, that's all well and good when you're in the savannah and you're chasing like, you know, gazelles and shit like that. Uh, and then you catch a gazelle. And then also, obviously, because you're exercising, the potassium levels go up. And also it kind of balances it out. You just get higher blood pressure, but healthy. So when you're chasing the, you know, this gazelle or whatever, and you finally catch it, you eat it, you feast, you relax, your stress levels come down, you laugh, you joke, all that kind of stuff. And that's when the aldosterone level goes down, your blood pressure goes down, all that. Now, the problem in today's society is there are two, it's a twofold problem. One, uh, we live in a society which there's a lot of sodium in our foods. Sodium gets added to our foods all the time. As we talked about in the 1800s, it was a very um, scarce thing. You know, it was much more expensive. Now it's a very abundant thing. And so they add it to everything. So the problem is now, one of the problems is we have loads of salt in our food. We don't get much potassium. So our sodium potassium balance is out of whack. So most of us are walking around like uh, bloated and, and constipated. Not a good combination. <laughs> now, the other thing is, we, nowadays we don't really have the stress of the savannah we have chronic stress of like our boss at work um bills to pay um well, you know whatever misses us i don't know whatever um or the latest episode of whatever people are watching these days something's happened i don't fucking know but we've got chronic stress effectively which means that we've permanently got a uh, more aldosterone than we need in our bodies now most modern day blood pressure medications actually affect the renoangiotensin. That's how they work. Like you take a blood pressure pill, that's basically what it does is it modulates that system and tunes down your aldosterone, thereby tune down the on your sodium. Some blood pressure medications are actually do that while sparing your potassium as well. So that they basically directly work on the system which controls stress. So anyway, long story short, um, this is why the majority of people are de um, are deficient in sodium and usually deficient in magnesium as well and what tends to happen is if you balance those out you almost immediately notice improvements in mood hydration digestion motility of uh, feces and digestive system uh, it makes a massive difference so if anyone's listening here and they, they want to kind of know what's the point of talking about like crap like sodium potassium it's not calories well it's it's mostly to do with well-being and I, I i work with a number of enhanced lifters as well like when i mean enhanced i mean there are naughty things that they shouldn't be taking. <laughs> and um, for them, uh, this kind of regulation is far more important. And they'll, they often notice that potassium needs and requirements are far higher than sodium requirements. Well, than it would be if they were, weren't taking this kind of stuff. So with, with my natural guys, there's much more of a balance. With my enhanced guys, they're much more towards, um, I, I put them much more towards potassium simply because the, they, the stuff that they're taking tends to be sodium retaining. Um, that's why. But anyway, that was a, a massive long rant. But hopefully, that that gave you and the audience a bit more about sort of sodium potassium. Yeah. Do you think that's that's more helpful than just telling people like eat your vegetables because it kind of gives the the backstory to like why we're eating certain vegetables. Yeah. For for that kind of reason. What what have you what have you experienced so far with that in terms of your clients? Yeah, because like I, I don't find it helpful just telling people like you know eat your vegetables because it doesn't really offer much education or yeah. reasoning behind the facts. It's just like yeah, I, th I think providing the information behind it kind of helps yeah. more with that in terms of the like satiety um, as well as the, the nutrient um, information. I think helps as well, and that's and, and that's the reason why I, I kind of eat vegetables because i'm focusing in on you know my potassium intake um they help keep me full obviously they add uh, fiber as well into the, into the diet so that helps with digestion um those, those are a few of the reasons why yeah i suppose uh, the one thing that i've been talking about quite a lot with my clients recently has been the um there was a study done by orn et al in 2017 which was a meta-analysis of fruit and vegetable intake and the risk of cardiovascular disease Basically, to summarize that, it showed that there were advantages right up to 800 grams of fruit and vegetable intake per day. And so when I'm drawing up diets or like making recommendations, I generally recommend that people have 
I think I've said this to you as well, like up to 800 grams of fruit and vegetables per day. That's my kind of like magic number as a minimum. I personally have more than that. I like that these days I'm having about a kilo of fibrous vegetables uh, per day just because it's, well, it's good for you. It makes sense. Um, and then I think there was something like up to 600 grams, they saw longitudinal benefits, which correlated to um, um, sort of cancer. Um, so the, the, the sort of up to right up to 600 grams, there was less incidence of cancer. And then right up to 800 grams, there was less incidence of all mortality cardiovascular risk. So I think it was slightly over 800 grams. Menno mentioned this in the podcast as well. So, but about 800 is a really good number. And if we look at the guidelines for um, what the UK government say, they say five a day. Most people have heard of that. Five a day is only 400 grams. And that is still woefully inadequate. So people who are like shooting for 500 grams and getting maybe 100 grams or 200 grams per day, they are massively under eating vegetables. And so the real goal should be 800 grams. And that is roughly, if you're having four meals a day, about 200 grams per meal. That for me represents a minimum that everyone should be doing. Now, to, uh, to answer your question, like, is it more helpful? Um, I would say, yeah, I think it is. I, as you know, with me, I try and educate as much as possible. I've not ever come at it from the angle of electrolytes, unless I'm specifically talking about electrolytes. I mostly talk about it in terms of here, the cardiovascular risks and benefits, his appetite suppression benefits, stuff like that. But no, I think talking about it in those terms is probably sensible as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think like the electrolytes can be probably too much for some people, like, because you've got the calories and macros. Yeah, no, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind and, of uh, Yeah. Um, and obviously, like, I was, I was going to talk about talk this about you um, potentially later, but um, I messaged you saying, like, you know, what, what are your thoughts on a carb? And in terms of the vegetables, um, Obviously, we're not we're not talking about starchy vegetables. Um, like, yeah, how, how do you class that? Like, uh, root vegetables. Um, how do you class the vegetables in terms of counting towards your like, say, five a day? Yeah, I I think the, the classification I think can be um, flexible depending on what stage of dieting you're in. Um, so I I, really, I wouldn't mind if people have their you know vegetables from other sources, but it depends on what stage of that. Like for example, I've got a friend of mine. Oh, again, I mentioned him before, Joe. Um, if he's listening, hey Joe. <laughs> um, so Joe right now will have about I think one and a half kilo of vegetables per day, but they're mostly from starchy carbs because he's bulking. He's a big guy, he needs to get the food in. So a lot of these are from potatoes and stuff like that. Now, for anyone listening, like that's a strategy for that our bodybuilders using to gain weight. So. If the majority of your vegetables are, and you're, if you're trying to lose weight and you're using the same strategies as bodybuilders trying to gain weight, it'll probably give you an indication that that's not the way to go. So like, I think with that, you know, I would say the, the ratio shifts as you're dieting and as you're trying to lose weight, I think the ratio should shift more towards it being as uh, fibrous carbs. And as you're then bulking up, you can probably split that across. And obviously based on the type of diet you are, you may be doing a low carb diet. You might be doing all fibrous vegetables. For me, it's all fibrous vegetables right now um, because like you, I find that the most satiating, but I've got, rather, I've got a big appetite. So I suppose that's another thing as well, dieting and also appetite. It, there's no point having um, 800 grams of um, potatoes when you're bulking, when you're still starving. You may as well just be having the vegetables then, the, the fibrous vegetables. Yeah. yeah, definitely, yeah. And like when you're like, um, say, are, are, you, are you counting your macros at the minute? No, no. <laughs> oh, right, isn't it? Now, I was just gonna say, like, how much, like, your overall macros from carbs, like, if you were just eating, say, vegetables or fibrous vegetables, um, counting that towards your like carb intake, if that makes sense. Like, I'll tell you, how would yeah. you approach that? I think with this, there's a difference between the way that UK does it and the way the US does it. So in the US, they have um, net carbs. Uh, we don't have that in 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 England. You probably notice the difference on this when you because you've been to both. So I would, if it's on an English packet and it says carbs, I count that towards carbs. If it's, because uh, if it's fiber, it'll list it separately. In America, it, you basically have to, I think you have to calculate it yourself, right? So you've got like carbs, net carbs, and then they don't, they don't list fiber, right? Is that right? I think the way they do it is, is they list one amount and then under that, they'll have like another amount. And then you have to work out the difference. I think that's the way, Yeah, but I'm not too sure, yeah. That's yeah. kind of insane to me. So like uh, for us, I, if it's on the car packet, like for example, I'm doing low carb at the moment, but I have this uh, cottage cheese. Uh, we'll talk about it in a second, but I'd have it with this awesome sauce, uh, low calorie syrup. 
But anyway, this cottage cheese is like two grams of net carbs, and I count that. So I count that in. I mean, I'm not counting calories, but mentally in my head, I try and keep yeah. it in that two gram range um, if I'm with something in the menu if it's during the day. But um, yeah, so I think for us in the UK, it's probably a little bit easier. What, what about you? How, what's your method for that? Yeah, like currently I am counting my carbs from my fibrous vegetables. So um, when, when I log it into my fitness pal, um, like say like 100 grams of like carrots or parsnips, yeah. I, I um, count that towards my daily um, macro for carbs. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's how I approach it as well at the minute. How much but, you, how much you ended up at roughly? Um, uh, are you counting mushrooms as well? Yeah, uh, yeah. So like, how many total carbs a day roughly? Oh, um, so I filled it out today this morning. Um, I've not eaten yet, so I've, I filled it out, and I, I think I was around ninety-ish grams. Um, and then that's uh, 300 grams of veg per meal. So then at the end of the day, I'm on 900 grams of uh, vegetables, fibrous vegetables for the whole day. I, I'm getting about the same amount. And like, I'm, <laughs> I'm just basically putting it down as okay, I guess. Um, I've not tested yet whether I'm in ketosis or not. That's probably something I should do. Um, so, but the way that, I tend, the way that men have said it is, you should try and eat as much carbs as you can while still staying in ketosis. So I tend to think if a lot of those carbs are coming, if I'm going to get some, because I don't have pre-workout carbs or post-workout carbs, and I don't have like a refeed on the weekend. So I'm thinking a little bit higher carbs from fiber sources, maybe not a bad idea. Um, so I've, 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 whether I'm right or wrong, I've kind of just said that's okay. Um, I, I guess I need to get some keto sticks to see if I'm, if I'm peeing, you know, keto. Yeah, if you if you want to use that as like a segue into yes another topic, yeah. <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I think uh, so. We'll we'll talk about this a little bit. I'd I'd like to do. I think well, no, we've both seen it now, haven't we? So we could do the whole review now. Um, so yeah, Friday. Uh, no, for Friday was it Sunday today? Yesterday. No, it was Friday, sorry. Friday, I had uh, Men on podcast, and uh, it was awesome. I was super excited. Uh, I was massively chuffed to have him on. He's uh, pretty much, I can completely fanboy now, because, like, um, he's not here. But like, I was like, he's, he, for me, he's a massive go-to source of information. And the guy is huge, you know, in, in the fitness industry. He's, he's got, like, 65,000 followers on Instagram, and that, he's got a whole website. He's got a whole nutrition course. People know who he is all around the world. He's a speaker for nutrition. He's like, he's just really, really, he's, he's somebody that I look up to a lot in the fitness industry. It was funny actually, because I, I released the podcast and I, I tend to think a lot of Derby people don't actually know who he is. And so, oh, if I've got another guest on, we're like, I was like, do you know who I've got on the podcast? <laughs> so I was like, mate, like, this guy's, this guy's, this guy's huge. Um, but anyway, so I was massively chuffed with that. And we were talking about specifically keto for contest prep. And uh, I'll bring up the um, the timestamps actually. So, yeah, a lot of it to begin with, we were just talking about like general advantages and disadvantages, stuff like um, the keto bias in the evidence-based circles, summarizing the benefits, some of the exaggerating claims, and then we went into the specifics of looking at how you can actually construct a keto diet for contest prep, and also his philosophy on food choices. And I thought this was really interesting because this is where it stops being keto and it starts becoming something bigger which is looking at appetite suppression and ways to actually control appetite and hunger over the course of the of the prep and then keto becomes like a secondary outcome it's like you're only doing it because not because of the magic of keto but simply you're doing it because it has appetite suppression effects that i thought was really interesting because even like I still feel the bias against keto in my head. Like I say keto and I don't want to be known as the keto guy because like there's a definite bias. Like I was literally just looking at my Instagram and uh, in fact, I might actually share my screen and just show you this. But there's this guy, he's a nutrition expert. He's listed as obesity lipid specialist physician. The guy called Dr. Nadolsky. And I'm going to just show you my screen here. And I want to just show you something about him. Can you see this? Okay, cool. Can you see my screen? Yep. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. So basically, like, there's 
he's 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 posting mostly about like how to lose weight etc and just memes you know, it's just a bit of fun and that's fine like i've got nothing against people having fun and like i don't want to say this is like sour grapes or that and I, again i'm not a massive keto guy i've been doing it for like what three weeks now but pretty much like every other post is like a negative against keto now yes he says he acknowledges that you know you can go on keto you can lose weight and like dietary balance is the main thing. Yes, he acknowledges that. I get it. I get it. I get it. But there's all these su subtle subconscious like digs at keto all the time. And this is what I'm talking about when I refer to that, the keto bias. And so here, another thing to do with like appetite, hormones, um, pretty much wherever you go down is, here we go, more about sugary foods, see? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and there's, there's, yeah, so he does actually have some good posts where he acknowledges things like this, counting calories will not solve the obesity epidemic. Um, and I, again, I, you know, it's, it's a confused topic because I think it's one of those where, here we go, keto folks, diets again. It's, it's just digs all the time. And like, if you're in the fitness industry, if you're in the evidence-based fitness industry and you're just viewing this guy's stuff, all this stuff will subconsciously seep into you. And it will like, there'll be an aversion to, to doing a keto, which might potentially actually be a very good diet for you. So like for years, I had that in my head because of guys like him. And again, not putting the guy down because I actually really like his material, but it's a whole big thing in the evidence-based circles, which, and you, you, there's just tons of guys who talk about it. It's like Lane North is another big one. Uh, even Mike Isretel talks about when he, when he can. Um, there's, there's digs at keto. And if you're an evidence-based guy and you're just looking at these guys who you look up to and respect, and there's subtle digs all the time at keto. You're going to develop that anti-keto mindset, regardless of whether they want you to or not. Whether you know, I think the, the defense is quite easy. It's like, hey, you know, I'm just sharing memes. Like, okay, cool, you're sharing memes, but there are a lot of anti-keto memes all of a sudden. And like, if if you're like me and you don't actually look in keto, like, if you go into keto circles, like those people there, trust me, they're they're batshit crazy. Like, I get I get it, but if if you're like me, you don't normally delve into keto circles. A lot of the keto zealots, they are pretty mental, but I don't see any of that. I just see these guys talking mad shit about keto. So maybe I'm not the audience. Like maybe that's not who they're aiming this at. Maybe they're aiming this at people who go walk around in those circles a lot anyway, and then they come back here and it's like reassuring them that look, you don't have to go keto. But I guess for me, I've always had that mental aversion to keto because I don't really look at keto subs. I went to the fasting subreddits for a while and that was a stressful experience. Those guys are nuts. Uh, you know, it's probably from the lack of food, uh, and the keto zealots are just as crazy, probably from the lack of carbs. So, uh, I guess I find like people really have camps, and you've really got to be a very intelligent, discerning dieter to find out what works for you because we all have external influences, and we might end up doing something which isn't actually optimal for us or doesn't make life easier. So, um, one of the things I liked about Menno was this he gives a very broad balanced perspective on keto and it's it's more a consequence of what you're trying to do which is um control your appetite rather than a direct goal of what you should be doing yeah yeah that was um that was interesting because uh we've had discussions on like well i've discussed with you my previous dieting um habits and I've pretty much tried every diet under, under the sun. So like from vegetarian, vegan, keto, um, there's a lot of things that I think like can affect your experience with a, a diet because when people try these diets, they're always going into them with the thought of, or the um, purpose of reducing calories or looking to lose fat. It, like no one ever says, "Oh, I'm gonna try keto and just maintain my weight." Like, do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's never like approached like that, and I think a lot of the negative connotations come from they think it's like a magic way to lose fat as well. Like, all all these diets are being kind of portrayed as like this way to lose fat. When we know that to lose fat, you know, there's multiple ways of, of going about that, and the best way. To do that is not going to always be the same for everyone so um yeah so like that that thought of balance because like with my experience with keto i was doing it going into looking to lose weight and um i was i was being or, or the source of information that i was drawing from was um informing me that calories 
was not an issue or you, sh- you shouldn't look to track calories. Okay. So that paired with, with that was a negative experience for me. Whereas like now that I know or now that I practice the importance of calories as my foundation, I can approach diets now with that um, knowledge and practice. And now my experience with probably diets will be different because of that foundation that I have with them rather than just, yeah. So can I ask like with the keto that you did previously, what, how did you set it up? So um, I just focused it in on the foods that I was eating. So I just focused in on, you know, making sure that I was eating some vegetables, but the food that I was eating was, um, obviously no carb like so no carbs as in like no rice no pasta no complex carbs and I just approached eating like that um, that was in in 2017 or 2018 2018 sorry 2018 um, and my experience with that was you, you know the the, the self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> have you ever yeah. have you ever like experienced that or yeah so it was like I was going into a cutting phase. I wasn't tracking calories. Um, I was training and I experienced that I was not as strong as I was before. And all of that combined, what I took away was it was a keto. It was like, and like thinking about it now, I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was because you weren't eating as much as you were before that stage of of training. And it was because you were in in a deficit yeah. not tracking calories, not, not being smart about it. So I think um, there were a lot of things there that I put down to keto, but it wasn't entirely that, if you, if you get what I mean. It how wasn't entirely... How, you, how much were you weighing uh, back then? I think I started around... I was in the mid-80 kgs. Right. Um, it's on my Instagram story where I'm deadlifting like 120, and I put, you know, I followed a keto diet, and I was training at that at that stage so yeah I, I think I finished on 83 84 and I might have started around 88 probably 87 but a lot of that was I think water weight um so that was my experience with it I, I didn't struggle on it because I, I talked to you about this about the PSMF yeah. like I, did, I didn't find a problem with the way I was um experiencing the diet but it just um the way I set it up I think and the way I went around it was not the smartest way of doing it. It wasn't the best way I could. How do you mean by that? Just, to, just for people listening, because there might be people who have been listening to us the past couple of weeks who are going to try a low carb diet. So, what, what we, what was like the, what was the wrong way to do it? Um, not, not logging my food. So, there's multiple ways of doing that. You can write it down on paper, take pictures of your meals, um, use my fitness pal, which is probably the most popular thing that people are doing. Um, keeping track of that, so being accountable with how much you're eating. Um, and, I, you know, just to touch on calories, like calories are, are not 100% accurate, are they? Like, Faz, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because the variance of like one method of tracking a food item will be different to another. Yeah. Like, that's, that's something as well. So, like, being neurotic about the exact amount you're eating is not always going to be the, the case. So, yeah. just like a rough, yeah. I mean, ju- just sort of briefly, just not to go on too long. Um, I think I didn't track calories most of 2020 and I still managed to drop about 10, 12 kilos. Um, you know, so I don't think it's necessary per se, but then you've got to have other things in other checks and markers in play. And in terms of the accuracy, I think the government allows you to have like 10% leeway on food labels even. Um, and if you look at and the question I always get is my fitness pal doesn't match, you know, what the numbers say and all that kind of stuff. Cause it's, it's not the most accurate database. I think the better one is probably chronometer. Um, but uh, yeah, no, sorry. I, I'll carry on. I, get, I, want to, I want to kind of get to grips with the, what were kind of your food choices as well per day? Um, so you, you just reminded me that. Um, so having consistency, I think, is the better way of putting it. Um, having consistency as well as tracking protein. So that's another thing. Um, I was eating protein sources but I probably wasn't eating enough um, right. for around the 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of body weight in pounds. I probably wasn't doing that either um, because I found like once I started tracking protein, um, 
for a certain amount. It is it's something that I would have uh, slapped on if I wasn't tracking it. So it's yes, protein. It's yeah, huge. like you know, I've, there's. I think like well, last time you you were, we were still in the gyms and you were dropping strength. Uh, you're sorry, dropping weight. Like your strength didn't decrease at all. Like we were having that much protein. It's massively powerful. Like I've got a guy at the moment. He's dropped twenty pounds or twenty one pounds, and uh, he's not hardly dropped any strength at all because his protein's been super high. Like it makes a difference. Like if you're cutting and you decide to just cut on and like really low protein, it's it's hell. 